Thank you, uh, team, for your ministry um, to all of us this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, have you ever Googled the question, how to make friends? Uh, it's a very lonely exercise. I did it for research purposes only. And uh, I promise. And this is what came up. This is the site. This is, it's a PowerPoint presentation. It's a WikiHow page. And it's a PowerPoint presentation on how to make friends. It's got like 10 steps or 12 steps on how to make friends. And when I first saw it and I read it, I, I laughed hysterically. <laughs> and, I, and then I felt bad because I realized it's probably like it is being serious. They are trying to help people. And I felt really guilty about it. So I'm going to share it with all 600 of you. And if you guys laugh, it will help me deal with my guilt. So let's do, that's how I deal with my shame in my life. So let's go through it. This is, I'm going to read you the exact step. So this is the first step. I'm going to read you the exact thing that, that it says. This is step one. This is the photo. It says, talk to humans. Okay, go back, go back, go back. Say it on the one, okay. Talk to humans. And it says, this is what it says. It says, you can talk to anybody, even the clerk at the video store. Don't be too picky. <laughs> I feel awful. I'm going to meet a video store clerk one day and be like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, I work at a video store. I'm be like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to be so picky. <laughs> So I guess I can talk to you. I feel really... Netflix is coming though, so be careful. Okay, the next thing, next slide here. Okay, so this says, make small talk. Keep the 30% talking, 70% listening ratio in mind during small talk when possible. But if you have eyebrows like this guy, keep them raised 47% of the time. <laughs> so, okay, I actually added that. That's not in there. That's just... Sorry, it's funny. Okay, that, <laughs> next one. This is the next one. Here we go. Choose your friends wisely. Okay, but look at the book he's reading. It says... <laughs> Friends list. Where do you get a copy of the latest edition of the Friends list? Your local public. I hope I'm not in there. And why is his friend? Why is his tongue out? Like, is he going to eat his friends? Is he, is he like? Is it a menu of friends? It's so weird. Okay, next one. This is okay. I don't. Even, this didn't have anything written under it, so I just I don't understand it. Is it saying that like abduction and friendship are two different things? So. Uh, if the person next to you is taking notes right now, it's scary. Okay, so uh, next slide. This, oh, wait, wait, tell on, go back, go back, hide, hide that slide. Okay, so this last slide I'm going to show you. This is a bonus tip. So the 10 steps got over with, the, power, the presentation's over. But then at the bottom, like, it's almost like they added this later. This is actually, it, was, it said bonus tip. That's what it said. Are you guys ready for the bonus tip? This is the bonus tip. Here we go. Let's see it. Okay, it says, you don't have to be a superstar to be fun. You don't even have to do cartwheels. <laughs> so, so did the presentation end? And the, the original version, the guy in the back raised his hand. Yes, you in the back, yes. Do you have to be a superstar to be fun? No, you don't. Oh, oh sorry, one more. Sorry, yes, second question. Sorry, one last question. Cartwheels. How often, how many, how frequent do I need to be doing cartwheels to be fun? What type of cartwheel? No, our research shows you don't need cartwheels to be fun. You know, you should add that to this thing. People need to know. I'm out here tirelessly doing cartwheels, trying to be fun. If only I knew. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? I'm so glad you guys laughed. I don't feel so terrible anymore. But um, that is actually a real thing. It's WikiHow. You can, that's like the first thing that comes up, that the Google universe has deemed the answer to that question. I don't know if you have ever had a friend like that where it feels forced. You know, maybe they're not literally doing cartwheels. Hopefully not. But you've had a friend that, where it's like you're going through a math problem. It's just, 
it's just forced. You know, it don't, I see some of you looking at each other. Don't look at each other right now. You're getting deleted on Facebook right now. Okay, but this, is, this does happen where it just, it does not, there's no connection, right? There's no genuine personal connection of friendship. And this is what's also true about scripture is that in scripture, we have, we're, we're told that we can have a personal connection, personal relationship with God through Jesus. We can actually have an experience and a sense of a deep personal relationship with God. In fact, he uses familiar terms like father and we are his children and father, son, we are his sons and his daughters is very familiar. And so we hear this and so we do something about it and we go to church on a specific address on the street and we sing specific songs and we read particular passages and we volunteer in particular roles and we, um, re- we do particular things. And at some point though, this personal connection with God, this intimate relationship that we're told we can experience and have begins to kind of seem like and feel like a bunch of steps maybe that we're checking off on a list. That God is, is, there's no real personal connection. There's no real experience or seems to have an experience. I mean, personal relationship, but we're checking all the connect with your church list. That God's like this celebrity. You go to the concerts, you know, you, you get excited, you read the blogs, you, you do this, you, you, you know, you read the stuff that you're supposed to, but he's just this distant, you're just a distant admirer of him. Have you ever been there? Maybe, maybe at one point you really seemed to have a personal connection. It was either experienced or just you knew it, and then it was this deep personal relationship. But somewhere along the way, there was this disconnect where church and your faith and all of the stuff that goes with it kind of just became a checklist of things. This, this is the question I want to wrestle with today because tonight we're going we're gonna to kind of carry this through, but, but we need to wrestle with this question first. What is wrong with our connection to church? If we're connected to a body or a community of believers, what is, what is wrong with our connection to that if we seem to be or appear to be or sense to be or discern to be or feel to be disconnected from a personal relationship with God? What's What's wrong with it? I'm not just talking about an emotional, you know, connection. I, I'm not just talking about how you feel and emotions. We all have very deep, intimate, personal relationships with people that are that are not necessarily emotionally riveting all the time. That's not that's what I'm talking about. But but just a real sense of connection to God that it's a personal relationship. And here's what I can't do today. This is what I can't do. I, I can't just add something to your list, right? I can't get up here and add something else to your checklist. Like, oh, just try this. Just check this off. I, I can't do that. We just talked about how that's, that's kind of the problem. We're, we're checking all this stuff off the list. I can't do that today. But here's what we can do together. This is what we can do together today. Is we can open this up and we can deal honestly, honestly with what God has already said, whether we have experienced it or not. We can deal honestly with, with what God has said because we believe these are his words and we can wrestle with them here today. That is what we can do. That is, that is to some degree, that is all we can really ever do. And that's what I want to do today. We're going to do it in John chapter 15. And this is dense. This is a very dense chapter. This is a very, uh, in, a really important time in this text. Um, and so you're, you're, some of the theology professors, are, I always get nervous because you guys have such brilliant professors here, but you guys are going to all be like, dude, there's so much before this and after this. It's, there's so much other stuff going on. And you're, you just stopped right before the next verse. And I, I get it. There's, there's a lot in here. But but here's, here's one of the reasons I picked this is I just, this is a part in, in Jesus' uh, ministry with his disciples where he's coming up to a major transition. 
he's about to go to the cross. He's about to go be crucified. And he's going to be gone for a while, three days. He's going to be gone. He's going to be away from them. And then when he comes back, everything's going to change. It's a big transition. And this is what he's kind of doing. He's kind of trying to sum up so much of what he's been teaching them all along these years. He's trying to cram it all into this last final hour and this last final moment before this big decision. And John's like feverishly writing it down. And don't your, doesn't this happen in big transitional moments with you and, and your parents? Did this happen like recently when your parents drop you off at of college? And what do they do? They try and sum up everything they've ever taught you in 18 years in like one moment. You know, they're like, hey, listen, remember, okay, remember layer when it gets cold outside? Remember, don't get out of the car on the highway when it's, you know, when it's, you know, when you don't ever get, but when your car breaks down, but don't, don't, hey, listen, make sure you shut the lights off, save energy, always put the seat down. And remember, girls, they're always evil. They don't become Christians till they're 30. Don't talk to any of them. They're not, they're not, boys, no matter how nice they look, boys, do not become Christians till they're 30. Don't date or don't, they're terrible. And this is the advice my parents gave me. But so, so anyway, you get all this advice, right? But then your parents do this. This is what they do. They do this, they do this. They say, wait, 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 wait. If you forget anything else I've told you, remember this. Right? They kind of have these big summary statements. They say, listen, listen, listen. The most important thing is this. Or, or all I'm trying to say is this. Right? This is what they do. They, they try to have these big summary statements. So Jesus is doing this. And in this moment, I believe we're finding one of those moments where Jesus tries to really just bring it all together and kind of get, try to give the big picture. And so that's where we're going to be. And that's where we're going to be in John chapter 15. We'll start in verse 9. Here we go. Let's see what, let's see what, can you feel the drama of this? It's just crazy what's in here. I love, have you read this thing before? It's crazy what's in here. Okay. Um, here we go. I love you is what Jesus said. These are his words. I love you even as the Father has loved me. Remain, that's active verb tense there, remain in my love. What, what, what do you mean remain? Well, I got, I got to do something. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I thought, I thought that there wasn't anything that we could do to earn God's love, that his, his love wasn't available to us based on whether or not our performance was good or not. I, I thought God loved me no matter what. I thought that he was loving, that it just, it wasn't a works-based theology. I, and even this, it gets even more crazy. Because if, if you're reading this, you're like, Jesus, are you implying that even your relationship with your own father is dictated by based on how you obey the father's commands? Like Jesus Christ is, can not, not remain in his father's love if he doesn't do all the commandments? This doesn't sound like a father-son relationship. This sounds like a boss-employee relationship. You do the commands, you get the love. You don't do the commands, I don't love you. This, this doesn't sound like a familial, close, personal relationship. I, I, I don't understand this. And then he goes on. He says this. He says, uh, I have told you these things so that you will, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overfill. It will overflow. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you this stuff because I want anything from you. I don't want anything from I'm God. I don't need anything from you. I'm telling you this because this is what I want for you. I want this for you. I'm telling you this. Remain in my love. You can have the same kind of intimacy that me and my father have. You can join in with that. It's all because here's why. Here's why. I want something for you. I want your joy to be overflowing. 
I just didn't think that that was contingent on our performance of obedience. Maybe some of you are like, I knew it. I knew it was in there somewhere. I knew legalism came from somewhere in the Bible, and this is it. Jesus said it. It's all about the commands, or else there's no love. Let me put it this way. Let me me unpack it this way. Every summer, uh, ever since I was a kid, we went to the Jersey Shore. We loved fist pumping at the Jersey Shore. It was, I loved, well, not in that context, but I loved the, the, the beach. I loved going. But there was one ritual that every summer my dad would do right before the, fir- the first day when we go to the beach, and I hated this. I hated this ritual. Every summer my dad would go out and buy up the entire South Jersey supply of sunscreen, the entire thing, and then he would put it all over his kids. And I'm telling you, to this day, I don't need to wear sunscreen because I still have some left over from my childhood. This is not my skin. This is not my face you're looking at. This is sunscreen that you're looking at right now from my childhood. It's still, this is what it is. And I hated it so much because he'd, he'd put on, and he, you know, he's got like dad hands that are calloused and wrinkly and hairy and not, not the palms, but like, you know, he put this on your back and like in your, in your arms and it's cold. It's like, ah, ah, it's so cold. I hated this. And then sand would get in it, you know, like sand's like exfoliating stuff. And I'm like, ah, the tops of your feet. Do you ever put sunscreen on top of me? It's the worst. It's so bad. Just give me a minute. Oh, it's so terrible. It's all coming back. But one summer, I looked at my dad. I said, Dad, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. I'm not doing it. We're not putting sunscreen on. Not this day. Not this time. This is the first day at the beach. I'm not doing it. You know what my dad said? He said, okay. And I said, I'm still alive. Okay, good. Good. Yes, no sunscreen. And so we didn't. And the first day at the beach, it was awful. It was, oh, I got burned so bad. It was awful skin. It was like Raiders of the Lost Ark face melting. It was bad. It was so terrible. And the whole rest of the week, I couldn't like go in the water. I couldn't go in the sun. I couldn't sleep. It was miserable. And here's what was so tough about it. I remember like just sitting under the umbrella and I remember just watching my sister and my dad. I mean, they playing paddle ball and my brother and my dad going in the water and having a great time. And I love my dad. I love hanging out and enjoying the joy of that relationship and experiencing his, his love in that context of just being able to be around him and do those things. But I could not because I was burned. You see, another good word here for remain, another good one, abide in, live in, experience God's love. It's, it's not necessarily that uh, if I added more sunscreen to me that my dad's love would go up for me. That's crazy, right? If I didn't put sunscreen on, my dad's love went down for me. The amount of sunscreen I had did not dictate the terms of whether or not God's, uh, or my dad's love was available to me, but it did dictate whether or not I was able to experience that, abide in, live in that love. You see, my dad sacrificed. He took us on his vacation. All he wanted to do is have us enjoy it. He wanted us to enjoy this, but, but he wanted to protect us from the sun. And that's all he was trying to do is just protect us. And I said no to it. Now, was it easier for me to not put on sunscreen and just go outside? Yeah, you know what step one was and not put on sunscreen and go outside? Step one, go outside. There's no, there's no process to it. It's that easy. Was it more comfortable for me to not wear sunscreen? Absolutely. None of the sand stuff, and stuff. But was it better for me? Was it best for me? No, it was not. You see, I wonder if this is true. I wonder, could this be possible? I think it is. That obedience does not earn God's love. 
Obedience is the means by which we can experience God's love. You see, obedience, God's love is there. It is available to you. It is not dictated by your performance, whether it goes up or down. But Jesus is saying, remain in it. And here's how. Here's how you abide and live and experience my love. Now, this doesn't answer our question, though. This doesn't, it still doesn't answer the question of the connection with church and, and connection with God. But we know there's something about experiencing God and obedience now. We know that those are related. So let's, let's keep going. Let's see where else this goes. Okay, he says, this is my commandment. Okay, so he just said, like, obey my commandments, abide in my love, you'll remain in my love, and your joy overfilling, like, just, not just joy, nay, overfilling joy. Okay, so this is, this is big. Okay, so this is where everybody leans in. Okay, what's the commandment? Are you saying the commandment's the key to this? Okay, what is it? This is where everybody kind of leans in on their seat. Okay, ready? Here it is. This is my commandment. Attend a service once a week. Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong translation. Sorry. Tithe more. Nope, no, that's not it either. Uh, sign up for a small group. Mm-hmm. No, that's not in there either. That's a different translation. Love. Love each other. You see, uh, if I came up to you after this is all over and we met out there and I said, hey, wait, can you do me a quick favor? And you said, yeah, sure. Pastor Brown, do you a favor. I said, could you love? Whoa, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on a second. Love? That's not a favor, bro. That's, I don't know what you're about to ask me to love, but I, I, that's, that's a big deal. That's, that's a big commitment. That's a big requirement. That, that takes sacrifice. It's, it's personal. You want me to love. This is not just some simple task Jesus is asking here. He's saying to love. You see, what Jesus did in this moment, in the context of what we're talking about right now, this is what Jesus just did. Jesus just married your vertical relationship with God and him, the same intimacy that he has with God, that relationship. He just married it to your horizontal relationship with his followers. And remember, the audience is his followers, followers of Christ. So, so our relationship, our vertical relationship with God is directly tied to our horizontal relationship with each other. God does not give, Jesus is not giving you the option here to amputate away uh, uh, relationships with his followers. He's not giving you that option anymore. He has just married those. He's saying, remain in me, remain in my love, remain in the experience and the abiding and the living and all of that. Love each other. He just put those together. He does not give us the option to say, I'm just going to have my relationship with God and not be connected to his followers in an intimate way. But he goes on. He, does, he keeps going here. That statement does not end right there. Here it is. This is how he, he finishes it. He says, love each other. He says, in the same, in the same way that I have loved you. You see, as those words leave Jesus' mouth, and as they hit the ears of the disciples listening, their feet are wet. As those, as those words leave his mouth and hit the ears of the disciples, Jesus' hands are wet. Because Jesus has just done the very undignifying thing of getting on his knees and, and grabbing some water and washing the feet of his disciples. 
You see, even, even today, but especially back then, this was, this was the dirtiest part of people. This was the part of them that stepped in all kinds of stuff and animals, they had barefoot, it was, you know, sandals. Up. This was the dirtiest part of people. This work is reserved for the lowest of the low roles. This, I mean, on ever, and you think of a person's body, this, in that, in that time, this was the messiest dirtiest, potentially dangerous, uh, disease-filled part of their body because of what it does and what, what it does, going through life, walking through it. This was the messiest part of life, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, experience my love, remain in it. Your joy is gonna overfill. Grab a bucket, grab some water, and find some feet. You see, what's wrong with our connection to church if we seem to be disconnected to God? I wonder if it's we need to move beyond going to a church and we need to start churching. And here's what that means. This is the difference. The difference between going to a church and and churching is the difference between places and people. You see, places you go to, you show up to, and you sign up for People you love, you have relationships with, you care for. And the disciples knew this was a two-way street. This is a two-way street. It involves giving love. So this is what it means. It involves, um, you know, the difference between going to a church when it comes to giving love. Going to a church means you, you sign up for something. You sign up to serve. Churching means you step up. It means it's going to sacrifice. It's, you're you're going to be loving and caring for the messiest parts of people. You are gonna be, it's gonna, you're gonna be getting on your hands and knees. It's gonna be undignified. It's gonna move you from comfort to discomfort. It's gonna get on you. You're gonna be washing it. It's gonna the smell, you're gonna smell stuff. It, it's gonna be shocking. It's gonna get on you. It's gonna get on your pants. It's going to be messy. You know, this is not just, remember, Jesus is not just available. Hey, if, if we need feet, feet need to be washed. Okay, I'll do it if no one else does it. I'll do it. It's not just being available to wash feet. This is initiating, going in and looking for the feet, the messiest part, loving the people who don't deserve it, forgiving the people who don't deserve it. This is, this is going after and loving people in the messiest part of who they are and not just being available for it. This is initiating it. This is going in and, and looking for it. That's this definition of, of God's love here and churching. So it also means, though, receiving love. And this is probably the hardest part for some of us. I, I bet you this may be the most difficult part of this. Uh, receiving love. This means that there are, it's the difference between just simply showing up, going to church is showing up. Get, receiving love is taking off your shoe. It's opening up. This is, this is what so many of us would much rather do. I'll wash the feet. I, I'm totally with you, Pastor Brian, on that first point. Yes, we gotta do that. We gotta go in and love the mess. I can do that, but I'm gonna do it with my feet back here. I'm gonna wash some feet. I'm gonna leave my shoes on. It's messy down. I'm not gonna, no, this, Jesus does not give you the option to do that here. If there's foot washing going on, that means there are people that are letting people wash their feet. That's, that's what, this is a two-way thing. To be a part of churching means you gotta take your shoe off. Some of you have never done this. And here's what this means. It means taking your shoe off. This is the messiest part of your life. 
Leaning into authentic community. That's a great buzzword we throw around a lot. Leaning into community the way Jesus is describing it here means that you are willing to take off the shit. It's going to smell. No, don't wash that. It's gonna, you're going to smell it. What if you smell it? Some of it's going to get on you. This, no, I don't. Oh, that is so difficult to do. And just letting people care for and love the messiest part of who you are. I just, just for a second, just to suspend reality for a second. Let's just spend, just imagine, okay, if we just did that today. Just for a second, let's just do this. Let's just imagine we all stood up after this is over, chapel's over, we all stood up and we went out into our classrooms, into our world and into our relationships and we just started taking off our spiritual shoes and we started actually looking for people's feet to care for in the message. Just imagine if we did that. Just imagine if, if an army of all 600 of us got up and we went into our world, into church and into our world, went looking for the messiest parts of where people are and loving them there, just wanting to love and wash and care for the messiest parts of people. Just imagine for a second if we did that. Just imagine if everybody in here got up and was willing to go out and take their shoes off. And imagine if no matter what those feet looked like, no matter what, how bad it smelled, no matter whose feet came through that door, just imagine an army of people willing and looking for the opportunity to get on their knees and to love and care for them in the messiest part of their life, no matter what their feet smelled like. Just imagine for a second. Wouldn't you just love to go to a church like that? Wouldn't that be incredible? Imagine the experience of God in that kind of community. Imagine the kind of experience, the abiding in, the experience of God's love in that kind of community. Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church like that? Just imagine. I have told you these things so that your joy may be overflowing. Um, I wanna end with this. I, uh, I, when I was in middle school, uh, I had a necklace. Um, that's not the weird part. The weird part is, uh, it's a little weird, but the necklace itself was kind of weird. It was, uh, it was a soccer ball, but it was cut in half. And on one half of it, uh, the half that I wore, it said, B fr. And the other half said, stands. So you know where this is going? Do you have this necklace? And people would come up to me and they would look at me and they would say, and look at the necklace and go, and I would say, well, you see, my best friend, they have the other half of the necklace that ends and when you put them together, it spells best friends. And they would say, bro, you don't have a best friend, you have a necklace. Because no one wears that, probably has any friends. And, I, and it might have been something true, but it was a symbol for me. And it was the symbol that I wore around and, you know, for a while, and I thought it meant friendship. But I wonder if this is true, that I, I wonder if it's possible that there are some of us that have been wearing some symbol for a long time, where we, we have this, this belief or this symbol that like we, we wear, we check things off this list, that like we have this intimate, close relationship with God, but we're in this spot now in the season where we're starting to wonder if there's anyone on the other side of that necklace, if there's anyone on the other side of that symbol, whatever that is, and we're about ready to just rip it off and throw it away. Some of you are here right now, that's where you're at. 
And I believe this is what God wants to say. He's screaming at the top of his lungs today, this morning, that I love you. He's actually, his love isn't just available. It pursues you. Psalm 23 says it chases you, almost like violence. It's chasing you. God's love is pursuing and screaming at the top of your love. I want you in it. I want you to abide in it. Come in, let's go walk. Bring, into, bring that into community. Talk to some people. Take your shoes off. Step up both and step up and find some dirty feet and start loving people. But you got to take your shoes off as well. Imagine the experience of God. Imagine abiding and living in that kind, remaining in that kind of love. These are Jesus's words, not mine. This is, this is the theology that we get from scripture. And some of you this morning are in that spot and God's just yelling at the top of his lungs this morning. My love is available. It's never gone anywhere. In fact, it's, you're here. It's no accident. You're here. It's chasing you right now. So I just imagine... Just imagine if we all just got up and we just did this. If we started not just uh, signing up, but we started to step up and we started to open up and we started to experience God's love as we began churching. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that, um, that the, the single loudest thing right now would be just your love. For these people, that there would be, they'd be, you'd be screaming at them that I love you, I love you. I'm not, I, Lord, I just pray that be so overwhelmingly loud it just drown out every other lie they've ever heard in their life right now, and that they just simply fall into that, and that they have an extra dose of courage, Lord, to leave this place, and to go churching, as they experience your love, Lord. I, I lift all of this up in your holy and powerful and wonderful, wonderful name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. See you tonight.